Welcome to Joint Effort with Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. This podcast covers the pain and injuries that are associated with muscles, ligaments, and joints. Welcome everyone to Joint Effort. I'm your host, Jason Sullivan, here with Dr. Lee Evans, podiatrist at Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. Thanks for coming on, Lee. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we want to get into a very common topic in podiatry, which is uh, hallux valgus, otherwise known as a bunion. But before we get there, give me a little bit of background yourself and how your interest in podiatry developed. Where, where did you grow up? And uh, w- tell me about your education. So I'm an Iowa boy, grown up like most people around here. And I went to uh, Briarcliff College in Sioux City. I played basketball. Okay. Uh, what during, position did you play? I was a point guard. You know. So you are quick. I don't know. I wasn't as tall as everybody else. So <laughs> I was the dribbler. Were you a passing point guard? Or I was, score? yeah. We had a pretty good team. We had some, uh, I don't know if you know about Briarcliff, but it has a Panamanian connection. Okay. So the coach had coached in the Panamanian games back in the 70s and developed a pipeline. So he was bringing up really tall, really good basketball players from Panama to play with Briarcliff. In fact, my senior year, I think I was one or two native Iowans that played very much on the team. Everybody else was foreign in Sioux City, Iowa. You're so, kidding. Yeah. Really? Yeah, had some good basketball teams. So they bring them in, get them a good education, and then where do those guys end up going? This well, so they come up here and they spend four years. They yeah. don't speak much English, and by the time they leave, they speak really good English. Right. And so they'll go – most of them will get, like, an associate degree after four years, mm-hmm. but they'll go back to Panama or Puerto Rico or the Virgin Islands where they're from, and with that degree and that language skills, most of them work in banks and real estate agents, yeah. and they do really, really well. Yeah, what a great thing for them. Mm-hmm. And brought some pretty good athletes up, I'm really guessing. Really good. Um, you know, a lot of them played on the Panamanian national teams. And really? Yeah, they're pretty huh. good ball players. Yeah. You would never expect that. No, Sioux, Sioux City, Iowa. Yeah, one of them was um, the Michael Jordan of Australia. He was on every billboard. He had a 40-inch vertical jump. He was 6'6". Why Australia? Well, he went and played internationally. Did he really? Yeah. and uh, Had a good pro career? He had a great pro career. Jeez. Yeah. So you were feeding him the ball? I was giving him the ball, yeah. So that's not, not too hard to get a good assist. Thing to do, you yeah. throw it near the rim? and Anywhere near the rim. <laughs> wow. yeah. That's amazing. Anyway, so, I got hurt. Um, okay. I had surgery by a podiatrist in Sioux City uh, one off season. So that's kind of how I got into it. That, and I wasn't very good at math, so... You know, and uh, you didn't make that story up for your interviews and stuff? No, right? I really did Like, you know, and all the kids coming through, how'd you get interested? Like, well, I had this injury. But yeah. you actually had an injury. Yeah. Well, you, know, we, you know, podiatry's not like um, not like being a fireman. It's not something kids want to grow up to be. It's just kind of something that happens to you. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Yeah. It's a pretty evolving field. You yeah. know, there's a lot of exciting things going on. Yeah. Uh, which we'll actually get into today. Um, but what, what did you have done? How'd you hurt yourself? I had a fifth metatarsal fracture that didn't heal. I had okay. a non-union, so I had a piece taken out. It wasn't a big deal, but. Okay. Yeah. You did not have to have a, a screw put no down. No pins or screws, like yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You got lucky then. I got lucky. I guess. Yeah. So four years of basketball, or did you have to, did the, that end your career? No, no. I wasn't good enough to play anymore after that, nor, nor was I tall enough. So um, okay. it was time to move on. They yeah. found a point guard who was an inch taller and yeah. said, yeah. thanks for your services. Right, right. All right. Fair enough. So from there, you decided, hey, this is a pretty cool gig, and I want to get into that. Where did you go to school after that? Uh, I, I attended Des Moines University here, um, four years podiatry school. Podiatry is a little bit different than, say, MD or DO school because we start podiatry right away, mm-hmm. whereas you guys do basic science classes for a couple of years. Then you do your rotations. You try to figure out what, what you might like to do or mm-hmm. what fits for you, and then that's the specialty you go into. We're in podiatry day one, much right. like a dentist would be. Right. Okay. And then how many years of schooling is it? So it was, I had a four-year undergrad and then four years of podiatry school. And okay. then at the time I finished, you had to have two years postgraduate surgical training. Now it's three. 
Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. They made a third year on there. Mm-hmm. Jeez, that's one for the year from retirement. Yeah, Isn't exactly right. <laughs> one more year of loans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they got to get you somehow. Yeah. Um, did you start out here right away at DMOS? No, I worked um, for a couple different podiatrists in uh, Seattle, Washington for about a year. Um, we how, had a, how did you sneak away? You just had to get out? Yeah, our, um, the residency program that I went to was in Tacoma. Okay. And so it was just a natural fit to kind of stay there. But after we had our first child, you know, I think we spent eight hours on an airplane one time because waiting to be de-iced. I'm like, that's it. We're done. So, you know, either that or we ignore like that, our family Like forever. that never happens in Des Moines. You right. never have to be de-iced. Well, we're Moines. already here, though, you know, to get here. Okay, you fair know, enough. So, yeah. so if the ice is on the ground, at least you're traveling by car somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Most of your family is from Iowa then. All of my family okay. is from Iowa. And I know you have some pretty athletic kids. Um, I think you said... I think Max played hoops and yep. Max played else. a lot of basketball. He was, um, ironically, you know, I'm five foot eleven. My kids are six five and six six. So I'm not sure where they got that you from. Said, but you said uh, your daughter's a pro at shopping. Yeah, my daughter's too. five two, and she is world renowned shopper and um, very good at selling. <laughs> Has wedding she honed dresses. her internet skills over the last year with the pandemic? Um, I think she had that down well, well before the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> Doesn't need to try things out. Right. She can just kind of tell. Right. And then you, you can just send it back. I mean, it's just yeah. as easy, right? Yeah. It's just another avenue to purchase something else. Yeah. So. You know, there's really skill in that because <laughs> she works uh, or she did work selling wedding dresses at a bridal shop and she was really good at it because she likes to shop. Seriously. So. Yeah, she was really good at it. So one of her hobbies, she kind of thought, I can make some money doing this. And yeah. Oh, yeah. that's the youth for you. They yeah. they find uh, weird ways to make money these days, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah. that's that's fantastic. Um, you were telling me a little bit ago, you know, you said your hobbies are kind of like everybody else's, golf, you know, biking and fishing. But if you could do one, you got two hours to kill, you know, what are you choosing to do? I'm golfing probably. You are? Yeah. Just okay. trying to find two hours where you're where you don't feel guilty that you should be doing something else is the hard part. The problem with golf, though, by the time you get done, it's, you know, I always tell, you know, my wife, it's a six or seven hour ordeal, you know, mm-hmm. that way, you, you know, when you get home five hours after a round, it looks like you did well, <laughs> you know, you can have that, that beer afterwards, right, or, you, know, right. you can have a uh, lunch with the guys or whatever, but yeah. uh, no, it's a social sport. It's kind of fun. You have some friends or you do it with your family and mm-hmm. I take my kids out. I'm sure you do the same. Absolutely. Your boys probably drive the ball past you at this point. A long ways. Yeah. Yeah. A long ways. I know. The shoulder turns a little better than mm-hmm. ours, I'm sure. Yeah. And the back a little, little more limber yeah. so um, tell me a little bit let's get into bunions because um, it's almost a condition that can affect seemingly a, a wide age, age range and just about anyone I you know it's uh, it's one of those procedures where I don't know that there's been more procedures described for the same condition than a bunion I don't know if you'd agree with that yeah and sometimes that means maybe that one particular procedure isn't better than another one right because your 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 best outcome is the one that went well last time <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you think about you got to walk on this foot the rest of your life there's a lot of biomechanics to the foot and there's all different kinds of people right so based on what their x-rays look like based on what their functionality is their age mm-hmm. um, choosing a bunion procedure is kind of difficult and, yeah and it hasn't been real standardized you know before we get too far into you know what can be done just in general terms what is a bunion so a bunion is sort of prominence of the first metatarsal. Okay. Metacarpal in the hands, metatarsals in the foot. When you say first metatarsal, we're talking the big toe. The big, the, the big toe and the bone right behind the big toe. And okay. they'll develop a little knot or knob off the inside of their foot. Rubs on their shoe, sometimes aches with activity. Um, that's usually what brings them in. Okay. 
they say it's it's usually pain or they get do they get a callus on the side of their yeah usually their pain toe? if it's an older person uh, it's it's rubbing problem they'll get a callus or a blister a younger person it's more functionality so they might be running track and it's bothering them or they have an achy foot yeah and that's what brings them in so you know you always have that nature versus nurture question with everything we do so is this something that you're you're born to develop or is this something that can also develop you know dramatically or you know through just uh, attrition of some repetitive activity you're doing. yeah and I don't know um, I don't know about the rest of the body but the, as it relates to bunions it's largely genetic so okay. someone's foot type is sort of chosen and if they come in with a bunion chances are grandma had one um, not necessarily her parents had one but grandma generally had one mm -hmm. and, and that's what brings them in and they're aggravated by life's activities right so the more active you are the narrower shoes you wear the more likely it is to bother you okay can it be rather debilitating for people? It can be, you know, and the thing about it is the worst bunion I ever fixed was on a 15-year-old. You'd think that'd be a, a, yeah. a, a problem of older people. She basically born with, you know, positioning. Hypermobile or, foot, you know, yeah. you know, hypermobility, I'm sure you see it in your in your, your thing with elbows and shoulders and things like that. Yeah. We see it in the foot too, and hypermobility of the first ray or the first metatarsal is, is really what leads young people to have these problems. So this is more of a ligament problem? At the first metatarsal base, there's a set of ligaments that holds the metatarsal to the bones behind it, the midfoot really, right? And if they are hypermobile or loose, when a person stands down, their foot flattens out, that the front part of their foot spreads, and then that bone hits the shoe. I think a lot of people think it's just, uh, it's just something that kind of angles out, but there, it's a pretty, it's more of a complex deformity, right? It's yeah. in multiple planes. Yep, so not only does that bone push out, but it also rotates. And okay. so the true definition of a bunion is hallux referring to the big toe abduction right pushing it out and valgus which is a frontal plane rotation of that bone as well okay so when you're thinking about treating these things are you looking at like are there some that are way easier to treat than others because of the amount of rotation or the amount of deformity yeah you know two basic things i think about is number one is the foot hypermobile or not? That makes the question a lot easier about what to do. If and is are, it easier to fix hypermobile? No, it's much more difficult, difficult. more okay. complex. Um, if, if they have a nice, strong, structural foot with a wide metatarsal and just a small gap between the first, second toe, we can usually do a procedure that you can walk on afterwards. Okay. You cut the bone, slide it over, put a screw in it, and away you go. Um, but if it gets more complex than that, then you've got to move further back. The worse the bunion, the more proximal or the further back in the foot you have to go to fix it. Okay. Okay. Um, so how are you, you know, you have someone in front of you and they're a young athlete or fit that 15 year old, you know, how are you thinking about this problem? I mean, what kind of workup do you have to get for these people? Do you ever have people that come in and say, Hey, I don't want any x-rays. I'm good. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something I'm assuming you want some x-rays on. Yeah, we would, we would x-ray almost every time. And some people just want to talk, right? And that's fine. We can just talk. Yeah. But it's it's hard to talk intelligently until you get a set of films. Yeah, what is the value for you in regards to x-rays? Like, you know, what's the added value here? Because I think it's an important thing for people to know. So we're measuring radiographic angles. We're taking a look at the, the how far apart the first and second metatarsal is based on an angle. Uh, we're also looking at the angle of the first metatarsal to the big toe that kind of helps us decide what procedure you might want to choose. Okay. Are they developing, are these people also developing arthritis in these same joints or is that uncommon? So that's the complication of having a bunion for any length of time, right? Obviously I don't want to fix anything if I don't have to, but you take a 16 year old that's got a really severe bunion and you bring that same patient back when they're 30, chances are they've got arthritis in their big toe joint okay. and they probably have arthritis in the joint behind it. 
Okay. And the reason you want to prevent arthritis is once you once you get arthritis, you, you get more rigidity, more pain, and then there's not much that can help that other than a fusion of the joints. Sure, reducible versus non-reducible, right? When a young person comes in and they got a little bit of a floppy foot, their joint's still good, right? So. Uh, that 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 deformity is reducible. We can mm -hmm. put them in an orthotic, talk about good shoe gear, and we're good to go. You stay that way long enough, your foot wants to stay in that abnormal position, mm -hmm. and it gets more and more difficult to put it back and to get it to stay there. So it becomes a more difficult fix. Once you have a bunion, are you just destined for this thing to progress? Is there any conservative like shoe wear, bracing, orthotics that you can do, or you just can keep people? staying in the you know without progressing sure in a young person we want to get them in an orthotic keep we want to slow down pronation right pronation is the flattening of the foot okay if we can hold that arch up then the midfoot doesn't what we call unlock and it stays rigid and then their bunion doesn't progress as fast so we would certainly like to get a young person in an orthotic talk about appropriate shoe gear those types can of they wear the orthotic playing hoops or whatever it is they want to do absolutely they slide from shoe to shoe most of them are made out of plastic so you get them dirty they just wipe them off and keep going this is, these are like off the shelf orthotic nothing like custom that no i would always start with a good over-the-counter arch support and then if they felt like they needed something extra then we can take them old okay and then what do you what do you um counsel them in regards to the shoe wear is there some are there specific things you look for like toe box width or you know um, uh, you know how much arch support and yeah like I, I like three basic principles of a shoe you know you want a nice strong upper number one that's going to hold the midfoot when you say nice strong upper describe that what do you mean by that basically between the sole and the laces okay on the sides of the shoe if that's a stiff good construct okay. your foot's not going to slop around side to side we like to have a nice stiff heel so if you cup the back of the heel of that shoe we don't want it to collapse a whole lot because that's going to hold your heel better. Mm -hmm. We like to have at least five eyelets in our laces. That kind of gives a little bit more support through the top. Okay. And other than that, generally comfort. Our diabetic patients and patients that get irritations, we want to make sure they don't have seams. So anywhere two materials come together, you're going to have a sew line, right? There's yep. going to be a seam there. Material's a little less forgiving and, and uh, uh, they can develop irritations over okay. the spots. So. I hate to be the guy like fitting your kid's shoes growing up and stuff. You know, yeah. you take them and you're like, <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, you're like, this is what we need. And they're, they're trying to give you a different, you know, spiel. And, no, that's, know, for the kid, that's for the parents that care about their kids. Mine, we went to Walmart. And <laughs> yeah. like, hey, let us know what you get. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. No, that's valuable. I think uh, valuable for me even, honestly. Uh, a shoe wear, we're on our feet a lot, right? Even in the OR, you're standing or sometimes we're sitting, but a lot of times we're standing on concrete, mm -hmm. you know, yep. over and over again. So we kind of forget and neglect our feet. And if you do that, you can end up with problems. Yeah, and you probably you're probably not feeling it yet, but I'm 52, so I'm starting to feel it. I've Are you for very long? Yeah. 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 No, I, I mean, long enough, and you know, back problems and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think in our field in general, I think there's a lot of attritional things that happen over time, sure. postural changes or whatever. Uh, starts with your feet. Mm -hmm. um, so let's say you try an orthotic, and uh, you're keeping someone, and they're they're doing fine. Uh, when do you make the decision? you know, hey, it's probably optimal to do surgery here. I mean, is it is it a preventative thing that, like you say, even though we've maintained this and it hasn't progressed, we should do surgery to prevent getting arthritis? Mm -hmm. Or is that not the concept right now? It's just treat them symptomatically until they ask for something more. I think I mean, that's exactly right. I, you know, again, you don't want to fix anything. You don't have to. And bunions are, are, are painful, but they are elective, right? So if the patient comes in and they're saying, I don't want to go for my two-mile walk anymore mm -hmm. because I know it's going to hurt inside my shoe, or 
I can't wear high heels to church anymore because my foot hurts all the time. Those are sort of lifestyle choices that we don't really want people to make, right? We can fix that. We yep. can make that better. So if it gets to those points where where they're having pain with those activities or they're choosing not to do something, then I think we fix it then. Okay. So give me your go-to. Um, you're talking to someone about surgery. What, what do you prep them for? Hey, here's what the day of surgery looks like. Um, are they getting general anesthesia? Are they getting regional what, or local? What do, you, what do you do in that regard? And then what does their post-op recovery period look like? Yeah, so we try to give them a choice on anesthesia. If we do general anesthesia, we can use a thigh tourniquet, which is more comfortable for the patient after surgery. Podiatry is largely a bloodless field surgery, mm -hmm. so we use tourniquets for most of our procedures. If they want to stay awake, we do it under what's called sedation, which means we make them goofy, and then we numb their foot up, and then we wake them up. The problem is is that we're, we're using a tourniquet on the ankle at that point. Because mm -hmm. A tourniquet on the thigh with somebody awake is really uncomfortable. Yeah, we can't really like do that. it. So when we're working with a tourniquet on the ankle, you're working with a tourniquet time, too. You don't really want to be there longer than an hour, and that tourniquet can get a little uncomfortable. After mm -hmm. they wake up, You know, their foot can be sore for mm -hmm. a while. So we choose general anesthesia a lot more just because we can use a thigh tourniquet and they have a better experience afterwards. That's most people's, I mean, they say, hey, whatever you say. 90% of the right. time, I'd say. Right, you know. okay. And then is it, it's mo an outpatient procedure, I presume? In and out, same day. Okay. Uh, most of our procedures take longer than an hour, um, or shorter than an hour, excuse me. Um, my attention span evidently isn't much longer than <laughs> that. So. But uh, most podiatry procedures, bunions and the like, are pretty straightforward in, in time fashion. Mm -hmm. So we're usually in and out an hour, sometimes Re an hour and a half in the bigger Reproducible. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously what you want in a surgeon. You don't yeah. want someone who's, we're going to do it this way this time. You right. Know? I mean, you want right. something that's fairly. Uh, we try to have standards and in, in, in when we determine what we're going to mm -hmm. do, you know, so it's similar each time. And then do you put them in a boot or do you cast them? Depends on the procedure. Okay. Uh, I rarely don't cast some of our bigger bunion procedures, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. Um, we'll put them in a splint for the first few days. Okay. But most of them go into a, a, a cam boot or a walking boot. Yep. Sometimes with crutches, sometimes Can with some not. put weight down right away or yeah. touch down weight bear? Yeah, about half of our procedures are weight bearing procedures. Okay. And then when, you know, if, if you're doing a bunion procedure, whatever it may be that you choose to do, it, is full weight bearing and full function expected by what three months two months what do you tell most people? almost all of our bunion procedures require at least one cut in that metatarsal and yep. that has to heal so based on which procedure we choose it's going to be somewhere between five and ten weeks depending on what procedure okay. is done yeah. so let's go to kind of what your workhorse preference is you know and, and you probably have you know there's i don't know how many procedures described there's a lot 20 yeah. plus right mm -hmm. But I'm sure you have a couple in your armamentarium that you prefer for reasons of the literature and also for anecdotal reasons, being in practice as long as you have, you kind of know it works. Yeah. So tell me, you know, the most simple deformity is that, how does that go? Is that what you described to us earlier? One, sure. One cut in the bone, slide it over, put a screw across and. Yep. And so the awesome bunionectomy is called a, also called a chevron. Mm -hmm. If someone has a bunion that their angle's not too bad, and we say not too bad, less than 15 degrees, the, the angle that the first and second metatarsal make, then we're able to make a cut in that first metatarsal head, and we do it in, looks like a chevron from the side, so it's stable. Okay. And we slide it over, and we put a screw in it just to hold that, that chevron, and it's stable enough that they can walk on. So it's a walking boot for about five weeks, and then we transition them. Back and you to expect that, that cut to fuse back? 
heal back. Yes, about right? 97% of the time it heals okay. uh, without uh, incidents. And what's your, you know, what's the failure rate on doing that? What's the chances this progresses to a more proximal problem? Um, you know, that's the one thing that I would say to any patient that comes in that somebody tells you you have a bunion procedure done yeah. and you're never going to have to do it again, they're lying to you. Right. Because the, the, the foot is dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the biomechanics that existed prior to doing the procedure still exist. So we are as aggressive as we can be to put that back so that they don't have a problem again. But it's mm -hmm. always a potential okay. complication. And if you have to work more approximately, you said sometimes it's a more complex, you know, problem. What do you What are you talking to them about then? Are you Are you and are you describing the differences in these procedures to the patient? Is that end up being a big deal to them, or most of them just say, "Hey, take care of it." <laughs> most of them are saying, "Hey, take care of it," but mm -hmm. we don't we don't let them get away with that, right? So we set them down and talk it through it because we want them to understand what they're signing up for. Right. You know? Yeah. So the bigger procedure would be what? Describe that for me if you're. If you're getting more working more proximal. Yeah, so classically, the procedure that we've used is called a lapidus bunionectomy. It's a fusion of the first metatarsal cuneiform joint. It's been around for 80 or 90 years. I think mm -hmm. it was discovered by an orthopedic surgeon in France by the name of lapidus. Okay. Um, we've used that procedure a lot. The problem is with that procedure is that historically, it, it, there aren't a lot of consistent um, protocols to, to stand on to use the procedure and we do a lot of eyeballing when we do that procedure well you know with orthopedic surgeon you don't want to eyeball if you don't have to mm -hmm. particularly like if you're doing like a total knee replacement right you want to know exactly where you're putting yep. it so in the last probably four or five years there's been a procedure called lapoplasty that's come along that that mimics doing a total knee replacement in that there is a specific jig that we can rely on for each part of the procedure so that we can put that bone exactly where we want it. You correct all the planes and then is it two plates that go on there? Yeah, it's a three-dimensional bunion correction because uh -huh. you're moving not only, you're moving transversely, yep. you're moving sagittally, and you are able to rotate that metatarsal okay. as well. And are you spanning that joint, that first metatarsal cuneiform joint? Is that what's with the jig with the yeah? So basically, you're, uh, there's a there's a specific jig that takes the first metatarsal, connects it to the second metatarsal, okay. so you can pull that first metatarsal back in alignment, mm -hmm. and then the cutting jig goes on top of the joint so that you can make your corrective cuts off of that jig okay. after you've reduced it, so you know exactly where it's going to be when you're done. Got it. Okay. And then they compress it. You know, so. All right, and that's been fairly reliable? I mean, have they been able, have they had five or 10 year studies on that yet? Or is it new enough that yeah, it's so just coming out? It's right now, it's the number one bunion procedure done in the country, I believe. Really? They've done 250,000 procedures. And this just came about in the last four or five years? I would say four or five years yeah. that, that's really come along. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Become mainstream. And the, the benefit is, is that the stability of the cuts and the nature of um, putting two plates at 90 degrees uh -huh. allows weight bearing at a week. We walk them at a week now. Before it was six to eight weeks. And now. is it when they're weight bearing? Is it painful? No, they're uncomfortable for a while. I mean, they're in a walking boot with, with crutches. Mm -hmm. um, it's person to person. It's a little different. Okay. You know, you, know, you have three. I have three kids. One's tough and one's not. Yep. It's kind of hard to pick the one. That's going to be the tough one. I hope the uh, one that's not tough, you know, thinks he's the tough one when, right. when you when he's listening to this. Right. You know, right. I, they probably will think he's talking about me. Yeah, probably. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it, when they wake up and they go home, are you talking a couple of days worth of maybe pain meds and then it transition off to anti-inflammatories or yeah, whatever? Yeah, most be? people when they come in at the first post-op visit, they're not taking the pain pill. Okay, yeah. so they're they're pleased, things are going fine, and that's just a matter of where do we go from here? Yep. Okay. Yep. When can you return to playing sports? 
maybe probably two, two, two and a half months. You know, I had one patient that um, she had come in after surgery and she was uncomfortable and she was like, couldn't figure out why she's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And this was like five weeks after surgery. And she said, but it's fine when I'm kickboxing. So, yeah. you know, it's yeah. everybody's different. Right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, sometimes there's a built-in advantage to non-compliance. And I don't know what it is. Some people get lucky and those people, they do really, really well. Yeah. So, you know, if you do that too early and you have a non-union, you're kicking yourself because you got to go back. And well, I mean, what's the revision procedure for a, what do you do if it fails? That'd be not fun, right? So you'd have to go in and take the plates off. You'd have to debride that again. You'd probably have to bone graft it at that mm-hmm. point and then put larger plates on. So it's not something you want to do again. Yep. You know, try and stay away from it's that. It's too much investment of your time. Yeah. yeah, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, are there some people you look at and you worry, like, so what? how much does weight play a factor in recovering from a bunion? Um, do you tell anybody, hey, I'd like you to get down to this BMI for success rate, or does mm-hmm. that not have much of a role? Yeah, it, absolutely it has a role. And I think that not only the procedure itself, and you know when you deal with people that are a little bit overweight, the procedure is harder, right? The dissection is more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the, the, the peri stuff that you worry about more immobility and blood clots and blood flow not moving the way it should and infection and dehiscence and those types of things that you generally don't see with a healthy patient. So, and in my field, particularly podiatry, I don't know about yours, but it's a huge population of diabetics. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you have a diabetic who might be a little overweight, you know, we counsel them to get their A1Cs down in in a good range, to lose weight, you know, be ready to go. If they, uh, if they're insensate or you're developing some neuropathy and they can't feel the monofilaments in their toes, does that affect? Are you starting to worry, hey, if they're a little neuropathic here, you know, does that affect recovery in some people Absolutely, as well? and it actually, you know, it affects our decision-making too. Is this a good idea or not, and how much do they need it? The problem is, is that with a diabetic, if they don't feel their foot and they got a large bunion, they're going to have a wound there anyway. Mm-hmm. So we you got, can't, once they have a wound, you can't. We might as well get them in their best health we can get them in and mm-hmm. fix it, you know. Right, right, absolutely. Well, this is fantastic information. Um, it's clear that you know this inside and out, and I'm sure this is one of your more common procedures, I would guess. Yeah, we have a really good group, you know, of orthopedic surgeons here at DMOS, and so it's really made it a lot easier for me to do the, the few things that I really feel like I can mm-hmm. do a good job. You know, 80% of my day is bunions, heel pain, and ingrown toenails. Yep, you know, so. yep, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and we appreciate having a guy like you who knows this stuff in and out and takes great care of patients. So thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks appreciate for having it. me. You got it. Thanks for listening to Joint Effort, a podcast from Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. If you have questions about this podcast and wish to schedule an appointment with the surgeon, call 515-224-1414 or visit dmos.com.